and welcome. I am Piers Ridyard, CEO of the Decentralized Finance Protocol Radix, a public ledger entirely focused on bringing DeFi into the mainstream. This is our podcast, The DeFi Download, a show about decentralized finance and all things crypto, where we dive into the details of the projects, assets, and services that are powering the DeFi revolution. Today, I am joined by Stanny, founder and CEO of Aave, the Money Market Protocol, an open source and non-custodial decentralized application that enables the creation of money markets. Right now on Aave, you can earn interest on crypto deposits and borrow crypto assets. Stanny, thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, thanks, Pierce, for having me here. So first of all, I think congratulations are in order. Uh, you guys are now over $200 million under management, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, and uh, it's been quite uh, an experience because we, we started in January, actually. So it, it's been quite, uh, we didn't expect this, to be honest. So how's, how's the team feeling at the moment? Uh, really good. I mean, we're a very small team. Uh, there's 17 persons working at Aave, uh, mostly in our headquarters in, in London, where, well, now in the COVID era, we're basically a bit of uh, distancing. Sure. But uh, I, I think we're feeling very good. I know we still have to ship a lot of uh, products and services and, and, and code in general. So kind of like um, we've, we've been very busy, but uh, we're feeling good. That's really that's that's really great to hear, and like a great shout out for London as well. We're we're also based in London, so it's good. Yeah. It's good to have a fellow a fellow UK based company uh, on the show. Um, for those who don't understand what a money market protocol means, could you just break that down a little bit? Yeah, so uh, money market protocol in general uh, means a kind of like a debt market where you can park liquidity, so park whatever assets uh, or funds that you, you you don't want to allocate anywhere at this given moment uh, and earn interest. So for a fund, for example, a, a typical example is that they're using money markets uh, to earn interest before they're, they're deploying their capital to different kinds of investments. Or it might be that uh, that's capital for their actual business itself. And for a retailer, a, a typical money market is uh, kind of like a lending market, such as, for example, banks where you deposit funds and they are lending them out. And what's interesting in the as a money market protocol, it basically means that with our protocol, you can create different kinds of money markets. That means that uh, each money market has their own uh, specifications, what kind of assets you can deposit to your interest and what kind of assets you could use as a collateral to borrow against. So in essence, when you're depositing something into the uh, money market, a credit line is open for you that you can draw against. So it's quite uh, interesting. So, I mean, that's one of those areas of finance, I think money markets, where it's huge, but no one ever really like hears about it or talks about it um apart from sort of very much it's sort of inside a baseball for 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 the financial industry yeah um like what what is the what's the key purpose that that it's actually serving so i understand if i've got excess capital i might put it into a money market but like what like who are the who are the principal users of money markets on the other side in the traditional finance setting yeah, that's a good question because uh, in general, like finance has been grown in such a big infrastructure that the access points are in different levels. For example, a 
retail uh, investor who basically uh, uh, deposits funds into a bank account or into an investment account maybe doesn't see that actually what's happening in the background that there might be that the investment company is putting the funds into a money market or the bank is parking the funds into a money market and lending out for short term before uh, deploying to some other places. And that's the kind of thing. So as of now, uh, DeFi is kind of this all accessible uh, financial platform, which is basically by default interoperable. So anyone can create different kinds of products and services on top and and basically uh, doesn't need to figure out the API connections and, and those kind of like obstacles. So like the access for retail is, is way easier now. But uh, as it's growing, I think it kind of will have the same effect as the traditional finance where money markets are this big, vast pool of funds and, and kind of like a debt markets where big institutions are lending and borrowing. And the only difference is that at this this particular time with the decentralized finance, actually anyone can have the access. So instead of money markets being limited to regions and uh, certain type of participants, you could plug into this kind of like a backend of finance uh, globally. Super interesting. And like, what's the difference between how like money markets are traditionally built and how they are now being built um, by Aave on, on, on top of public ledgers? Yeah, that's an interesting question because uh, I, I think in the current way, money markets are a bit of like restricted on, on let's say, uh, asset lending or funds or like structures that are uh, very traditional. I, I think what what's like what I want to maybe highlight at this point is that in decentralized finance, you could actually uh, you could pretty much like tokenize different kinds of values and different kinds of properties. Like you could tokenize different uh, real assets. You could tokenize uh, art. You can tokenize different kind of things and make those those kind of assets liquid. And once they're liquid, you could actually use them uh, in a money market where you're lending them out or using them as a collateral to borrow different kinds of uh, 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 assets and what's I think uh, kind of besides of this tokenization of value and and putting that on a ledger and being able to utilize it in a lending and borrowing. What's interesting is that uh, key key substantial difference in like uh, with today's traditional money markets uh, lending and borrowing and what's happening in in DeFi is that uh, in DeFi pretty much the whole system runs on stable coins. Which is mm. basically a value that is uh, uh, it, it it might be tokenized uh, dollars into cryptographic form of dollars or over collateralized uh, system where a token is issued that the the backing value is more than the actual uh, crypto sure, dollar. Like so, CDPs like 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 make a DAO or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, exactly. So that's the kind of like difference. Like we have this cryptographic form of of representations of fiat currencies on chain and it allows us to move them quite interoperably within the platform in 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 ethereum and as the kind of like a cross chain interoperability becomes more popular even like in other chains so that's like the the uh, key distinction at this current state 
Okay, and this is really interesting because as a, as a as someone who's just sort of been um, spending a lot of time diving into a bit more of the context of what the DeFi ecosystem brings versus the uh, versus the financial so traditional financial system, like one of the things that I think is sort of so interesting and so critical is actually we've moved from discrete financial products where it's like okay i'm lending you entity x this amount of money y and creating a single discrete product for that which then i have to work out a way if i if i want to move out of that position without that person actually paying me back i need to work out a way of moving that debt on either by selling it as a formal agreement or securitizing it and packaging it up in some way whereas things like ave you have this discrete granular liquidity on every single position. And so it's no longer like I've lent this person specifically my crypto that I've deposited. I've, I've put it into a pool. I've got a share of a pool and I have an ability, almost an endless ability to be able to pull out of that pool if I need to. And, it, and it, even if there isn't enough collateral in the pool that's liquid that's available, then there's all of these other things that I can stitch together like Uniswap um, to just be able to move out of that position even if I want to. So it's this this sort of granular liquidity that's being brought to bear, I actually think is one of the like most powerful, super one of the superpowers that sort of DeFi has got above and beyond the existing financial system. Is, is that something that you see as sort of like a critical driver to uh, to the growth of this beyond just crypto? Yes, I do. I, I think also it pretty much is a continuation of solving this kind of like su supply side of, of market. So I I think if you look back a bit like uh, at Arbe's history and, and back in the early days, we have been in the space roughly over uh, three and a half years. So we started as a, a project called ETHLEN, which is short from Ethereum Lending. Yep. And it was basically the, the very first uh, lending protocol on Ethereum and kind of i think even like the second like defi uh application or or so as before that there was basically one decentized exchange and we basically choose chose ethereum because it was the only one with smart contracts they had a nice community and somewhat good documentation back then and we basically started with peer-to-peer -peer match order matching so we yeah. realized that that was the time before the stable coins and also those assets that were used as a collaterals, they had low market capitalization. So kind of like we understood that you couldn't actually uh, pool the liquidity together because the risks are too high and it's better to kind of let the counterparties to assess their own risk and take that right. risk. And we supported quite vast amount of different assets, uh, I think uh, over 120 different uh uh, tokens that could be used as a collateral compared to 16 that we have today. And right. what's interesting in this model was that it was a nice way to kind of like uh, isolate the the risks in terms of if the collateral values go down and, and there's a liquidation and, and so forth. But uh, we understood that kind of like the, the matching had has it had its own issues in the, in the sense that the borrower needs to come uh, create a loan request, someone needs to come and fund that, and there's this friction. And what the pooled liquidity models actually did solve is that you basically just gather the liquidity in one place and make it readily available to anyone who actually needs to consume it. 
And that means that anyone can come and borrow. But what's more important is that someone can create a product and they get on-demand liquidity. And mm. this is like a very, very valuable uh, right. thing in the whole DeFi history because that allowed the DeFi application to scale quite exponentially. And I think it boils down to the same uh, as any application. For example, in if you have Uber, you want to have enough supply side, you want to have enough drivers to basically uh, uh, supply the uh, consumers. And same, for example, if you have food delivery, you, you want to have drivers ready. And that's the kind of thing, even though it seems to be order matching, but end of the day, like when you ensure enough of uh, supply side, that will kind of like satisfy the, satisfy and cr- make the demand grow. And the reason that you decided to sort of start off with a smaller number of assets, I suppose, is, is precisely that, right? Well, we, it's, we, it's we, making sure... Yeah, we started basically... In Ireland, we have we had vast amount of assets. In Aave, we have only 16, and we started with 16 in Aave because you can't use any collateral as... like We have a certain type of risk framework which we're using to assess what kind of uh, assets could be added into... Aave as a lending currency, mostly users are borrowing stable coins, but also like what kind of uh, collaterals you could use at Aave to uh, pledge and borrow against stable coins, for example. And there's certain requirements that these collaterals are liquid enough in the secondary markets and and kind of like there's minimal uh, centralization risk in smart contracts and bunch of other stuff. So the the idea is that uh, we we have assets that are liquid enough that you can actually pull that risk together. What does that was that actually? What is liquid enough? What does liquid enough actually mean? Yeah, that's a good question because there isn't uh, any kind of specific yardstick because uh, liquidity is very uh, difficult to measure. Uh, you sure. there's liquidity in centralized exchanges. There's liquidity in decentralized exchanges, but there's also liquidity in uh, liquidity pools, such as, for example, Balancer or, or Uniswap and, or Kyber, for example. And that all, like, in our internal risk assessment, we need to look at each and every asset in a way that if we have certain amount of uh, loan volume or deposits into the protocol, and let's say if uh, 20% or even 40% of the price movement varies in short period of time and some of the loan positions gets liquidated, what will basically, uh, will those assets be, will there be enough liquidity in the secondary market to to sell those assets? And it's very difficult to measure. And actually, we're working with a um, consulting company named Gauntlet uh, from New York. And basically, they're doing us market risk assessment and liquidity risk assessment that we are uh, basically using, uh, we're going to use as a basis in our risk framework. That's really interesting. And this, I suppose this will give you a, a more standardized and uh, open way in which you are assessing and adding new assets to the to the Aave platform. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned that you started with ETHLAND. Um and you've talked a little bit about the things that you that you learned whilst building that. What was the reason that you guys decided to? Um, I'm not sure if you can call it a pivot or or, or what 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 it actually is categorized as for you guys. But like, 
what was the decision like what was the basis for the decision of going no we we can build better like fundamentally better but we have to start from scratch which is always a difficult thing to do in the first place yeah um and uh and we've got to build it in a completely different way and this is the right decision like what were the, all of the things that happened up to that point yeah it's 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 actually quite uh, interesting because uh we we kind of knew what we built back in Atlant era i mean Atlant was a project that we wanted to do this kind of like a proof of concept of a loan transaction where two parties, uh, pseudo-anonymously, can do a loan transaction and the borrower has an incentive to repay, which is basically the collateral in that state. And we kind of noticed that uh, the project started to get more attention and we had a bigger and growing community. And eventually, at some point, we noticed that the DeFi narrative has continued quite a lot uh, since when we started. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things was was definitely the liquidity pools, uh, the stable coins, and we we definitely wanted to be always part of the innovation. So we decided that hey, we could actually uh, we could actually take the narrative that it, that where it, it was back in then and continue it and change it a bit. And we did that. Uh, we we basically what we did is we created a lending protocol, but we added a bit more of a twist because back then and and a bit of now the kind of uh, DeFi space uh, meme yardstick for growth is total value locked in smart contracts, mm-hmm. which is kind of ridiculous because like you <laughs> you you don't measure things on how much you are like locking unless you're safeguarding something. But mm. like for us, what made more sense is that actually it's not about how much you're locking those assets, but how efficiently you're using them. And we came up with the addition of flash loans into the protocol, which yeah. basically means that if we have uh, that 200 million worth of uh, market size, or let's say we have 200 million worth of uh, value locked in the smart contracts, and and rest is borrowed out, that value is sitting there and doing nothing. And what we're doing here is that with flash loans, you can actually borrow a whole that value in one Ethereum transaction. And you need to just, with the condition to return uh, that loan uh, with the one Ethereum transaction and pay the fee as well. So what we actually did is that we technically relied on the innovation technically relied on the atomicity of ethereum transaction that there, mm. you can do all kinds of things but end of the block like everything needs to be settled so there needs to be logical uh, finality in your transactions mm. and then uh, what we did for the depositors we basically were able to uh, ensure that they earn more interest because now someone could build a refinancing tool between the MakerDAO system and, and Compound mm. uh, by using the Aave flash loans by closing their CDP and opening a position uh, USDC borrow on Compound, for example. And that transaction doesn't happen even at Aave. It happens somewhere else in the DeFi ecosystem, but we're extracting fees uh, from that transaction back to the Aave depositors, which is pretty cool. 
So I do want to go into flash loans in a bit more detail, uh, but it's sort of like I'd like to do it a little bit deeper into the podcast because there's a few higher level things I like to dive into first, if that's all right. So the thing that I wanted to talk about before we go into this, and you touched on it a little bit, is what are the KPIs you guys track? Like what actually matters to you if it's not if it's not locked assets under management? Like how do you determine whether or not you're growing in the right direction? This is a nice question because like all the data is in the blockchain, right? And kind of like we could sit all day long and look different kinds of transactions where the inflows, outflows are going and and, and basically where liquidity moves, what are biggest users. And and basically we're doing that. Basically we're checking, uh, looking at the data and looking who are we sharing users amongst the other DeFi protocols, what kind of transactions they're doing and trying to recognize a certain type of user behavior. So that data is very valuable and and luckily it's all available. Uh, it, I mean, if you think about the traditional banking system, you only see what's coming into your system and what's going out, but you, you can't see basically the whole space and, and basically measure which brings a lot of transparency and auditability for the whole ecosystem. And you could basically measure different kinds of uh, leverage ratios, exposure ratios of, of the users and avoid uh, and mitigate basically financial risk. And in terms of like metrics and things that we're trying to follow, we, we're trying to more focus as well on the sentiment kind of listening to our community and the mm-hmm. DeFi community in general, like what kind of developments there are and trying to like follow the narrative and, and then some way change the narrative to something uh, more better in terms of like either uh, creating some features or additions that actually change the whole narrative to a different direction. And one of the latest things we came up with up, uh, was uh, credit delegation which sure. is basically under collateralized loans, but in a very simple uh, way where a depositor into Aave, who is depositing, let's say, USDC for and an earning 6% APR, mm. uh, could delegate a credit line. So when you're depositing to Aave, a credit line is, is uh, open for you mm. and you can borrow against the USDC. So that depositor delegates the credit line to a, another person and, and basically that person and states what that person can actually uh, draw. So you can get, delegate uh, the borrow of WBTC or EAT, and that person who receives the, the delegation can draw that. And also the... Uh, and why, why is that important? Like, what's that enabling? Yeah, so it be, what it enables is that the person who gets the credit delegation... Uh, can actually draw a credit line without any collateral. So basically, the delegator is using the collateral behalf of that person. And then the credit delegator and borrower, they can make a legal agreement of chain for additional yield and to secure the transaction. And I mean, it's fascinating because basically the credit delegator will get additional income for basically giving the credit line to someone else and someone else can draw the credit line uh, without a collateral. And basically, the very first use case I see is the OTC lending space. So I could, mm. I could think about a, a bigger fund delegating their credit to a market maker or a cryptocurrency exchange mm. for their 
uh, marching activities. But as mm -hmm. a long time horizon, what we're trying to achieve is that traditional finance, uh, let's say uh, entities like Funding Circle and so forth, could actually source their liquidity from DeFi this way. And that mm. will be a game changer. Mm. That would be a game changer. And so you're, is this something that was a, uh, a customer-led feature? This is something that we have been working for quite a long time, but uh, progressed quite slowly, because I think this is one of those things that where the narrative wasn't yet there. I mean, mm -hmm. the whole DeFi space is about uh, over and kind of value building. And we mm -hmm. started the protocol in January, so the value has been piling up month after month. And mm -hmm. we're looking at the data and trying to figure out now that we have so much value piled up into the protocol, how we could actually make that that locked value work again. And this is basically the efficient capital usage uh, kind of like a value proposition that we, we actually came to the market with the protocol. So I, I assume that at some point you'll be able to actually specify what return you expect from the person that you're delegating the credit line to on Ledger because the uh, the the addition of the need for an, another uh, for a legal contract in addition to that line of credit feels like um, a sort of a, a step backwards from the efficiency of of how these systems can normally operate. Is this because you wanted to move fast and and, and get a feature out, or do you think that there's some fundamental reason that, that you need a off ledger legal agreement to enforce these as well? Yeah, I, I think like in in a world where whole finance and most of the social interaction is kind of like on, on chain. You could actually, you don't need the the off-chain agreements and, and the kind of like uh, uh, to trust the, the system. I mean, in general, you don't need them at all. I mean, if like finance and, and business transaction usually are optimistic. So not all business contracts are going into into the court, for example, to, to uh, if there is a default <laughs> or some forth. Yeah, and I mean, that's if actually, they were, then we'd be buggered, right? We're yeah, and that's actually interesting because like back in the days, we were building DeFi in a way that uh, we weren't that optimistic that everything has to be on yeah. chain and, yeah. and full decentralization, immutability. Yeah. And yeah. now I think we are moving towards uh, kind of like more rational DeFi or optimistic DeFi that you actually need enough DeFi that you make the system uh, decentralized enough, secure enough, and basically you you apply decentralization to function that you actually need and require has value added. And I, I think this is a substantial change in the mindsets, even for us uh, at Aave, because we used to be very uh, puristic about how we build things. And we still are, we believe in the decentralization, but for example, many things in our protocol and 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 kind of like now that we are we have this uh, hu uh, huge amount of asset under management we basically are transferring uh, the keys to the governance and let the token holders to govern the protocol and we're leaving a lot of stuff for the governance and without actually specifying or coding it in an immutable way and i think this is a part of this optimistic thinking and i think the legal agreements uh they're just kind of addition so i think the the infrastructure of lending that we have, the money markets, that's basically decentralized. But the off-chain agreements allows you to basically source liquidity from DeFi. So like it, it goes then both of the ways. Sure. And yeah. I, I think there's this, I think that the early stages of 
the Ethereum ecosystem, there was this this concept that because code could be law, mm. code should be law. And I think that the I think that that was there in lay some of the risks and traps. Like if you look at the early DAOs and the earlier ways in which marketplaces were designed, the complexity at which it was assumed that you always had to be thinking about the concept of a malicious actor acting yes. in the system and building a game against that yep. made, made these highly complicated, very difficult, very esoteric products that be basically no one really used. Yep. And, uh, and so like what you actually took away is you took the choice of the user to decide for themselves if there was something, a relationship they wanted to go into. And it, and it, it sounds very much like with this credit delegation, that's sort of the approach you're taking. You're going, look, what needs to be enforced on Ledger is enforced. It's your money. You get to choose what you want to do with it. If you want to delegate it to someone, you go ahead and do that, right? It's your money. It's it's your risk. And everything else doesn't need to be on Ledger. We don't need to add that complexity. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I really love that you bring that way it up because like the... We really thought it that way, kind of like back in the days that like you need to build a system in a way that it can't be gamed anyway. But if you look at all of the the kind of like uh, the securities of the underlying networks or, or the protocol that is based in governance, they always will have the, the majority attack. But it's always like since they all have value, like the the the, the tokens which you're governing the the DeFi protocols or the underlying network it's very difficult to game against. So if you have that majority value, mm. uh, it's very difficult to make kind of like transactions or attacks where you're working against the system because that will affect the market capitalization of that asset. And basically mm. the attacker will hurt itself. So it's, it's there might be some attacks that are uh, exceptional in, in this term if you can exit the position very quickly. But like the game theoretics are working uh, quite nicely for for this uh, particular mitigation. Yeah, I think the 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 like how much people have talked about game theory has like radically reduced yeah. since the early days. Like I remember when people would just talk about games and setting up games, but like. I think that's part of that. That's part of the act of sort of innovation and growing. Is is you start with a complex system and you work out ways of simplifying it. And I think that's continually what we're seeing. Yeah, exactly. Um, in 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 how things are being rolled out, and that's what gets us closer. Ultimately, what gets us closer to the user and gets us closer to real world application. Because you know that we started in this ecosystem like in 2015 with this belief that everyone would sort of do the heavy lifting intellectually and get themselves all the way up to understand these highly complicated esoteric systems and it's just just not true they have to be simple they have to be user-friendly and they have to be a understandable in like a five minute snippet or yeah. less not within like a two hour oh and by the way you need to read our white paper as well yeah yeah actually like uh for example, we we do have like very economical paper on 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 kind of like the functions of what what's basically are in, related to the the governance and and the uh, like uh, the economics. We call them avenomics, but we also have this called flash paper <laughs> flash paper that you could quickly uh, uh, just read and and understand what's going on. And I one thing I by the way I love about the the DeFi space, well, love and hate actually is that we come up with our own terminology for 
like uh, financial terminology that already exists, but we just right, want right. to create own narrative. And I, I think it's 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 in one way it's really fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I often think that that's fine. Like I, I I'm, I'm with you on the love hate relationship, but ultimately, like new things are exciting and old things are boring. And just going this is just this, but in a new way. If you don't understand what the thing that came before was it's a new thing to you anyway so let's just call it a new thing yeah and like as long as you're learning from what came before as long as the people who are building it are taking the responsibility to stand on the shoulders of those that came before and built and innovated and constructed and 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 broke and learnt from the previous ways in which you built things as long as the people who are building these applications are taking that responsibility and aren't believing that they you know aren't drinking their Kool-Aid too much and just fundamentally believing that they're reinventing finance when actually finance is probably one of the areas of human endeavor that has had the longest and most engineering applied to it and the most like clever minds applied to it you can probably find corollaries in existing financial systems that doesn't mean that it's not valuable or important for DeFi, and it doesn't mean that it's not entirely new to most people in the ecosystem but you should i think that as as sort of leaders of projects we have the responsibility to go no we should be this isn't entirely new yeah there are, there are good lessons we can learn and there are mistakes that have been made that have lost people money previously that we can kind of make sure doesn't happen again yeah and i, I think like finance it's just like a backbone thing like i think we're em- emphasizing too much on like I, I know that kind of like now it's the space like the, like the center of finance is now a thing and it will be quite a long time because of the infrastructure is, is setting out and laying out. And what's interesting is that the next stage is far more interesting where uh, there will be developers creating products that are just um, non-financial uh, by themselves, but they might use, for example, it might be e-commerce that might use DeFi as a backbone in, in certain type of things it might be basically ca- cash flow finance for working capital. Um, there's a mm. bunch of cool things that uh, could be built, and that is like the next next pretty cool thing. Like you, you have this interesting DeFi infrastructure, and then you start to plug in different kinds of things, obtaining capital, uh, obtaining loans, uh, basically putting capital to work. Uh, those will be quite uh, fascinating things. So let's quickly talk about competition because um, I think that more than than any other project in the DeFi space, you guys have a direct competitor in, in mm. Compound. So how do you guys think about competition um, versus Compound, and how do you how do you think about positioning yourself in the market where you are essentially at the moment the 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 upstart. Uh, up and comer from the point of view of Aave itself, right? Ethland, mm-hmm. you guys have got a lot of history with, but Aave's is, is sort of is is chasing on the tails and and catching up with. So, like, what? Wh- how do you guys frame that internally? Yeah, I, I think like we we like internally we love competition. Again, like I, I think we're in a lucky position that there is so much talent uh, building uh, in the space, and also we kind of uh, we we know that we are also uh, we have a lot of know how and. I think we're kind of chasing compound uh, pretty much because we did we had a quite extensive roadmap back in uh, Eatland, and now that we basically launched the protocol, we're just putting more and more bandwidth into actually innovating and cutting edges and and basically uh, providing more usability to users. So, 
of course, like interesting part is that where the protocol grows, like we can't build as fast as we could previously because there's more uh, due diligence involved when, when we produce code, uh, there's audits, there's formal verification, there's many things that uh, also internally that we have to do before we put anything into the uh, mainnet. So like the, the, the process of shipping out is, is based slower, but it also means that we need to innovate and create the and planify the infrastructure in a way that we actually don't uh, increase risk in, in, our, in our shipping process. So one of the things that we, for example, did is that uh, as the protocol is kind of like a money market protocol, we can create money markets. So when we are creating a new money market, which we basically did with the Uniswap uh, liquidity provider shares as a collateral. So if you are providing liquidity into Uniswap, let's say ETH, Land pair, or or let's say eat die pair, uh, you can after depositing you can take that collateral, put it into the Aave, and basically borrow stable coins against it, and that's a way to unlock liquidity. And what we're doing technically here is actually we're using the very same smart contract infrastructure that we have in the main market, in the Uniswap market, and basically the only thing we need to uh, add is a new price feed provider and audit that. And this way, we're able to kind of like horizontally create uh, new markets. And we're coming up now a new money market where you can use uh, set uh, token sets uh, from set protocol as a collateral. So if you are creating a, a token set where you have, let's say, 50% long on ETH, 50% uh, long on LINK, for example, uh, you have a now an investment portfolio, and you can use that as a collateral in Aave and and borrow uh, stable coins or other funds against it. So we are kind of like creating innovation this way that we have planified it in our infrastructure. And I think in terms of the competition, one thing I love to highlight is that like where Compound has this kind of like a uh, liquidity farming, which is basically now everywhere. And Aave's goal is, of course, uh, to incentivize liquidity providers, but more in the terms of long-term liquidity providers that are parking that liquidity. But I love to remind kind of like the liquidity providing schemes, for example, remind me more of this kind of like grocery store chain, bonus system schemes, where when you're shopping, you're basically getting bonus points, which you can right. use to buy things or... If it's a co-op, you can basically govern decision-making. And I think here's the radical difference is that uh, when people go to shop groceries or whatnot, the bonus systems isn't the thing that might be the, the decisive for them to choose a shop. It might be the selection of the products or, or in our case, uh, the selection of assets that we're using as a collateral, which varies quite a lot from compounds. And we have been quite innovative there. And actually Compound is listing assets that we have uh, listed before them. And I, I think there might be customer service, there might be a bunch of other reasons, or it happens to be that the shop is right on the corner. And I think our goal is just to basically make as many reasons as possible, kind of diverse way, why people would use us. And I think the next thing of the whole DeFi ecosystem isn't actually the total locked value in terms of competition, it's about brand competition. So basically, brands are competing uh, of user experience and usability. So if I can go to Aave and do a bunch of different kinds of transactions that I otherwise should should have had to use like three different protocols, 
uh, I value Aave more as a brand. And that, that's the kind of like a next uh, competition in the space. That's interesting. So sort of like competing on friction, essentially, yeah. on friction of action. And like if I can do something even tiny bit easier on Aave versus Compound or whatever, you will end up being the place that people do it because in a decentralized system, you have sort of an incredible fluidity of customer base. Yeah, exactly. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of establishing a trademark. So people use you because you have certain values and, and you build things certain way. And I, I think that's the decisive thing for the users at the end of the day. I mean, if you can borrow die and close your loan with your collateral or with another currency, that's like very helpful. So you you guys as a team have have sort of pioneered quite a few really interesting innovations. Flash loan is one of them. Um, liquidity farming is another. Um, I think the the credit delegation. I don't think people quite understand how powerful that's going to be, but I think that that is going to probably be one of the first ways in which we start breaking the uh, the crypto universe across to the traditional universe. Like talking with um, like one of the biggest problems that a lot of these startups in the lending space in fintech have is 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 access to funding um, uh, in terms of working capital funding for lending, not access to funding from the point of view of VC, which is a really expensive way of raising funding, but a reasonable credit line facility. And I think that that on its own is going to be super powerful and, and really exciting to see how that comes. So I'm not going to ask you what the next thing is. Um, I more want to just understand, like, how did you guys come up? What's the process you went through to come up with these things in the first place? Like, how do you frame what is important about how your product is delivering or what your product needs to deliver to be able to come up with these innovations internally and decide, actually, this is the direction of play that needs to happen for the next thing? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the, the process is quite uh peer review like so i think we have like uh, this kind of like collaborative intelligence way of of trying to think uh, what could be something that's very useful for our users or the whole ecosystem and and basically uh, validate it inside of our team and trying to basically brainstorm what kind of uh, possibilities it makes what kind of risk there might be and i think the next stage is is basically to do a uh, poc and look how that could be uh, designed in in a way that that is secure and also scalable. And end of the day, uh, then we approach to our close circle. We we like to call it where uh, we have uh, people in our proximity that we we basically trust as a uh, as people that are actually very heavy heavy users or just uh, have been following us for a long time. And we kind of like validate the ideas and. If the ideas are something that people like, uh, we basically build them. So, I mean, uh, listen to your customer essentially is what you're saying. Go, yeah. go talk with go talk with your user base. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which I think is <laughs> one of the things that crypto, <laughs> crypto projects in general uh, do really badly. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to great to hear. Um, that's, that's, there's a simple answer, which is it doesn't come from sitting in a room and staring at a whiteboard. It comes from going and actually talking with the people who are using your platform. Yeah, Um, exactly. 
Stanny, it's been it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. If people want to find out more about what you guys are doing, uh, or like want to come follow you, like how how do they get in touch? Where do they go? How do they find out more? Yeah, I think if you go to arba.com, you basically find everything. You find the the basically latest interest rates. You find links to our community, to our blog posts. Uh, you find your Discord. And Telegram. I personally love Discord a lot. I mean, it's a nice kind of like a basement feel like of, of chatting and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, just just to make sure that everyone knows, uh, Ave is spelled A-A-V-E. So it's A-A-V-E dot com, right? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So it's actually Ave means ghost in Finnish. So I'm, 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 I'm myself uh, from Finland, uh, from the Nordics. And the reason we picked uh, Aave or this kind of like a ghost uh, brand is that uh, like usually finance is very conservative because they take custody of your funds and we don't do that. So we don't need to be that conservative. And as the protocol is kind of like decentralized, it feels like uh, being a ghost in the background. (laughs) Wonderful. Stanny, thank you so much. Thank you, Pierce.